the church into this live stream and onto this lawn in what's been a, uh, say, not only a challenging week, but a challenging morning. Hearing my daughter sing, Oh Great Is Our God, at the top of her six-year-old lungs was uh, something sweet. So um, if we haven't met, my name's Jamie. I'm one of the pastors of our church. The guys, I say, most weeks, he gets the privilege of unpacking the scriptures as we come together. Speaking of, if you've been around the last couple of weeks, you already know this, but this morning marks the third week of a, a new sermon series, one that's going to carry us all the way through the fall and up to the season of Advent, a series entitled Songs of Ascent, study of, of a 15-song album within the hymn book of the Old Testament, the book of Psalms, an album that the Israelites would have been incredibly familiar with as they made it their playlist and traveling to Jerusalem several times a year for the major Jewish feasts and festivals, a playlist that, as we've seen over the last couple of weeks, continues to bear significance in the lives of God's people as we ourselves travel down this rugged road of discipleship, as God invites us to, to cry out to him with the full range of emotions comprised not only of songs of praise, but songs of lament, not only songs of thanksgiving and remembrance, but songs of confidence and wisdom made up of lyrics that find their ultimate fulfillment in Jesus, as we'll see so clearly this morning, the one in whom we've all been given a reason to sing, including the six-year-olds as re recipients of his redemptive grace. And so let me, let me go ahead and, and pray for us as you open up to Psalm 122 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, uh, you can go to our Digital Connect Guide. You can actually uh, click on the passage of Scripture this morning. It'll take you right to the psalm that we'll be working through this morning. While you're, while you're on that link, there are opportunities as a newcomer to let us know that you've been joining in with us, whether on this lawn or through the live stream each week. Uh, you can click on that link and share a little bit about yourself and give us some space to connect with you and share a little bit about who we are as a church. On that link as well, there uh, is a community group sign up uh, opportunity. So if you're not a part of a group, we've launched those as of a couple weeks ago. And uh, they coincide with these psalms. So we're talking through a couple of questions each week having to do with whatever psalm was preached the Sunday before, spending time together in prayer in light of these psalms. So we'd love to onboard you with a community group so that you can lean deeper into these very passages of Scripture that we're looking at, including the one that we're going to dive into now. Let me, let me go ahead and pray for us, and we'll jump in. Heavenly Father, we, we come to you this morning asking you to minister to us through the preaching of your word. Pray that you would open our eyes to the beauty and wonder of your goodness, the beauty and wonder of your glory, the beauty and wonder of your redemptive grace, that, that we might walk away changed, whatever that means. Convict us of, of indwelling sin by your spirit and encourage us to faith where we're desperate for it as you attend the preaching of your word and power. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So as I've mentioned over the last couple weeks, this 15-song album buried deep within the book of Psalms, it's incredibly honest, communicating something in and of itself of the honesty of the Christian life, the reality of, of what it is to live east of Eden, as we say from time to time, amidst this backdrop of a fallen, broken, sinful world. The lead-off track itself on this album, not one of those get-your-blood-pumping kind of songs, but rather a song of lament. It's a declaration of homesickness in a faraway land. The psalmist surrounded by strangers and, and aliens, lies and deception, going back to Psalm 120, hatred and hostility. 
surrounded on all sides by a world not his home, longing for, for something better on his pilgrimage to the city of God, a reminder that, that the road of discipleship begins with discontentment, a coming to the end of ourselves and the promises of this world, a quote that I've shared from the very beginning of this series from Eugene Peterson's book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. It's essentially a commentary on these 15 songs. I'll come back to this book several times along the way throughout this series. He says this, he says, a person has to be thoroughly disgusted with the way things are to find the motivation to set out on the Christian way. As long as we think the next election might eliminate crime and establish justice or another scientific breakthrough might save the environment or another pay raise might push us over the edge of anxiety into a life of tranquility, we are not likely to risk the arduous uncertainties of a life of faith. A person, he says, has to get fed up with the ways of the world before he or she acquires an appetite for the world of grace. Psalm 120, going back to the first week of this series, sets the stage for the Christian journey. It reminds us that, that the Christ follower is both a, a disciple and a pilgrim, always learning and always moving, committed to the, the rugged road of discipleship that finds its destination in the very presence of God. The second song on the album, going back to last week, Psalm 121, it's a song of providence, a perfect follow-up to the lead-off track. With this treacherous journey before him, the psalmist declares his confidence in God's never-ceasing care. A song that, that resonates in the hearts of God's people to this very day as we navigate the difficulties of the journey before us on our way to the celestial city of God. As it sings of, of God's mighty power, having brought about the universe, again, going back to last week, by virtue of his authoritative decree, committed to wielding his power in keeping his people on their perilous journey to glory. The God who never sleeps, the God who never slumbers, the God who never grows wearisome of keeping his people, preserving us in the midst of every vulnerability to attack, both within ourselves and outside of ourselves so that no danger, Romans 8, has the final word for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's a song meant to inspire confidence as we look above the hills of danger to the creator and sustainer of heaven and earth, the one who sent his son to rescue us from the greatest danger, the greatest peril, so that we might know the inseparable love of God, a God who will someday bring us safely into his heavenly kingdom. He will complete the good work that he began in us, Philippians 1.6, a place where peril and death shall be no more. We'll talk about that in just a second. This morning brings us to the third track on the album, which is a song of arrival, a song of worship. The psalmist having reached his destination the city of Jerusalem, God's chosen city, the visible expression of God's presence in the psalmist day. To use the language of Psalm 48, verse two, Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king, the place of the house of the Lord, verse one, the place of the thrones of the house of David, verse five. So that the two major points of focus in a psalm like this are the temple and the throne, Two major themes that trace their way throughout the scriptures. I wish we had time to get into all that this morning. You can go back to an old sermon series that we did entitled The Story and pick up a little bit more on some of those themes and imagery from Genesis to Revelation. But for now, let's go ahead and jump into this Psalm, verse one, verses one and two. The psalmist says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. 
Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. The psalmist recalls the declaration of those close to him, to Zion we will go, to the house of the Lord. Having now arrived in Psalm 122, filled with anticipation of what awaits, all that surrounds him, a reminder of the covenant promises of God as he joyfully stands within the city gates. The joy that that motivated his journey to begin with, now outshining all of those perilous dangers of the journey itself, going back to last week. Having come for one reason and one reason only, to worship the Lord. I'm reminded of Psalm 84, where the psalmist famously declares, says, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. The psalmist is filled with joy. He's filled with expectation as he stands with God's people in God's place. His heart prepared to give thanks and praise in response to God's goodness, in response to God's glory and grace. He goes on to say in verses three through five, Jerusalem built as a city that is firmly bound together to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. There thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. The psalmist looks out on this city, the city of Jerusalem, a city bound firmly together, which in one sense is a declaration of security, a walled fortress protected and defended. It's the kind of language that you get in Psalm 48 verses 12 through 14, where the psalmist says, walk about Zion, go around her, number her towers, consider well her ramparts, go through her citadels, that you may tell the next generation that this is God, our God forever and ever. He will guide us forever. We know that the the walls of Jerusalem, that they were strengthened under David's reign as king. We know that those very walls were the focus of, of Nehemiah's rebuilding project after the exile. But that language of a city bound firmly together, it's not just a declaration of security, but one of unity. That word bound comes from the same Hebrew root from which we get the word companion. So the psalmist understands the city of God to be a place of unity and companionship. A place that tethers people together in the worship of the one true God. No longer spread out on the journey, but rather bound together within the city gates. Which is why we don't see the language as we do oftentimes in scripture of the tribes of Benjamin, Judah, etc. But rather, verse 4, the tribes of the Lord. It's distinction without division. It's differences brought together in unity under the banner of God's redemptive grace. It's the kind of unity and diversity that the Apostle Paul unpacks so beautifully with his metaphor of the church as a body with its many members, 1 Corinthians 12. That the psalmist, he finds himself amidst a sea of people representing the various tribes of Israel, having come together to the house of the Lord to be reminded of who they are as God's covenant people. To give thanks to the Lord, verse 4, for his redemption, for his provision, to cry out for his perfect judgment, verse five, that the city of God might be a place of righteousness, a place of justice. The thrones having been set, 
that the Davidic king might administer justice and equity to all of his people. And that that might be a light to the surrounding cities, nations. He goes on to say in the final lyrics of this song, verses six through nine, he says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your borders or within your towers, I should say. Verse eight, for my brothers and companions sake, I will say peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord, our God, I will seek your good. Right, the psalmist closes out this song with a, with a plea for prayer that Jerusalem might be all that she can be, that she might be all that she should be. A city of peace, shalom, city of flourishing and wholeness, of harmony and well-being among those who inhabit her. A city of security, shalva, a city safe in the arms of God. Her inhabitants free to rest knowing that the Lord never does, going back to last week's psalm. A peace and security within acting as a light for the nations that God's salvation might reach to the end of the earth to use the language of Isaiah 49.6. That the psalmist called a prayer, it's itself a declaration of something longed for but not yet realized. Right? We, know, we know that these lyrics are found wanting on the basis of Israel's hard and happy history. Even a children's Bible makes that clear. The city of Jerusalem, once filled with justice, we know it was ransacked in the wake of Israel's sin. The city, the temple, and the throne destroyed in 586 BC at the hands of the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar. We know that the, the rebuilt temple on the other side of exile was brought to ruins in 70 AD under the direction of Roman soldiers led by Titus, which Jesus himself predicted, by the way, on his final journey to Jerusalem to die, Luke 19, as he wept over the city itself while quoting this very psalm. That the psalmist sought the welfare of Jerusalem because it was the home of the temple, the place of God's presence, the place where sacrifices for sin were made, the place where the priests did their priestly work. Today, Solomon's temple lies in ruins. It's a memory at best so that the hope of this pilgrim song must look beyond itself to a greater temple, to a greater city, to a greater king. Isn't it amazing? And if you've been around our church long enough, you would say, I'm not surprised to hear that that we find the perfect fulfillment of all of those various themes in the person and finished work of Jesus Christ. He's the greater son of David, having taken the throne once and for all, providing the stability of a forever king in a forever kingdom of perfect justice and equity. Luke chapter one, verses 31 through 33, as the angel speaking to Mary says, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God, here it is, will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. The forever king of a forever kingdom, Jesus Christ, and in that forever kingdom is a forever city of peace and security, the new Jerusalem. Revelation 21, verses 2 and 3. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, John says, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. 
and God himself will be with them as their God. A city of of unified saints, true companions, overwhelmed like the psalmist with joy, offering eternal thanks and praise in the forever house of the Lord. Revelation 21, 22. And I saw no temple in the city for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb. No need for a building to house God's presence because the Lord Almighty and and the Lamb will be the city's temple in that they will be worshiped everywhere without hindrance. No bounds to the worship and glory of God. But here's here's the reality of what Revelation also says. Namely that not everyone will stand within the gates of that city to use the language of verse two of this morning's psalm. That only those who, whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life will know the full and forever joy of standing with God's forever people in God's forever place inside those city gates. So that if you're not a Christian, I would say to you, and I've already said it this morning, that Jesus is the hope of Psalm 122 the only hope for entrance into the eternal city. He lived the perfect sinless life that we could never live. He died the sinner's death that we deserve to die as our sins were put upon him and he was punished in our place. We know that he rose from the grave, the death conquering, sin conquering, Satan conquering king whose kingdom shall never end. I would invite you to look to Jesus in faith, to proclaim him as your king, declare him as your savior, surrender your life to him. And know the joy, as I've said earlier in the series, of being counted among his pilgrim people whose destiny is the greatest city of God. And if you are a Christian, while there may be a not yet aspect to the fulfillment of Psalm 122, there's also very much a now aspect. That the church, Matthew 5, 14, is a countercultural city on a hill, Jesus says given the privilege of showing the world what peace and flourishing truly are. A place of safety and refuge in the midst of a world of peril, to go back to last week's psalm. Bound firmly together in Christ, verse 3. True companionship. Called to unity in and through Jesus' blood-bought redemption. The dividing wall of hostility having been brought down, Ephesians 2.14. In contrast, going back to the first week of this series, to a world filled with lies and deception, hatred and hostility, Psalm 120. A people who bring their thanks and praise before the Lord for his redemptive work and provision in Christ, verse four. We ourselves having been established as the very house of the Lord so that this lawn, praise God, is not the temple. That auditorium is not the temple. You and I are the spirit indwelt temple of God. Living stones, 1 Peter says, being built up as a spiritual house. Jesus Christ himself, the builder and the cornerstone. The now and not yet hope of Psalm 122, amen. This is my prayer for us. My prayer is that we would shine like the city that we are. That others might give glory to our father who is in heaven. That we might honor the one true king as citizens who live in accordance with the standards and values of his countercultural kingdom that we might truly embody all that it means to be the spirit-filled temple of the Lord, the dwelling place of God's intimate presence. I think if the psalmist could stand before us this very morning, I think he would say, look what God has done. Stand amazed like we did thousands of years ago in the very city gates, 
knowing that the covenant promises of God are yours in Christ Jesus. And now and forever city, and now and forever king, and now and forever joy. We don't have to wait for the eternal city to come to praise God for all of those glorious wonders and truths. We get to do that now. So I invite you to, to join in, to join in with the song of angels, saints that have gone before us as we sing to this God in the moments to come. I invite you to worship God through the receiving of communion. If you're a Christian, that meal is for you. We, we take the, the bread representing the broken body of Jesus and dip it in the cup representing his shed blood. It shouldn't be hard for us to pause and to think on the, the wonder of how Jesus brings hope as we look at a psalm like this this morning. Let's pause and do that and stand in, in awe and amazement of his finished work, his, his life, death, and resurrection, and the promise of his second coming.